Hey, it's Eric Newcomer. Welcome to Dead Cat, uh, another great episode. I'm excited to invite two people onto the show. We have Alexis Gay, who is the host of the podcast Non-Technical, and I went on her podcast, and we've stayed in touch, and I thought maybe she would enjoy coming on and play the co-host role on a very sort of technical podcast. So, hey, Alexis. Eric, thank you so much for having me. I am so ready. I'm ready to be technical. <laughs> I know you've, you, you, you've got metaphors galore you've been prepping, so I'm excited. Yes, absolutely. All right. And then the, the one who gets to, you know, be subject to the actual questioners here, uh, we've got Cristobal Valenzuela, the CEO of Runway, who I actually encountered in one of my early crazy generative AI hype cycles. And I thought... Normally, you know, I, I DM founders just like, hey, I'm writing about your company and, you know, they ghost me. But you were like, oh, yeah, let's get on the phone and talk about it. I thought we had a great call. So then I thought you'd be a fun guest to sort of explain what exactly is going on in generative AI. So welcome to the podcast. First, thank you for having me. And I'll do my best to try to explain what's going on. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Well, just to start off, I mean, can you just give us some backstory of how you got into generative AI and the artificial intelligence world? Like, how do you come to this space in the first place? Yeah, for sure. So it all started back in like 2016, 2015. I fell in love with this algorithm and technique called Deep Dream, which is, I would consider like one of the earliest like AI art kind of like models that was out there. It was very niche. It was just like a handful of artists and researchers were playing with it. And I fell too much in love with that algorithm to the point I just left my job in Chile, got a scholarship at NYU and spent two years researching kind of like computational creativity or applying like AI models for creative kind of like purposes and workloads. And that's a rabbit hole that's hard to get out of. How does one fall in love with an algorithm? I was going to ask that. <laughs> Not an experience I've ever had. No, can't say the same. That's a great question. I think for me, it was the aesthetic quality and the aesthetic kind of like possibilities that I was saying in this kind of like early, early algorithm. This is, again, before kind of the, the wave of outputs that you might have seen today. Mm -hmm. It was more about the, the, I would say two things. One, I fall in love with the idea of using neural network techniques to generate images, to generate video, mm -hmm. right? To generate, to kind of like explore and type of aesthetic and creative possibilities just, just wasn't like even imaginable before. I really like that idea of like exploring uncharted, unimaginable territories. And, and I thought and I saw this early kind of like researchers and artists kind of like as a way, as a, as a first kind of like step towards like just experimenting with this and seeing how, how it could go. I think I fell more in love that one single algorithm with the idea of experimenting with technology, right? Of trying and using it in ways that perhaps weren't meant to be used, right? And you go in a, that's the rabbit hole I feel I've, I fall in love with. But long story short, that one thing led to the other. And Runway was my, together with my co-founders, kind of like a research project. It was my thesis at art school that I went to. And the whole idea is basically, I still, it's basically the same that we have today, which is how do you take these algorithms, these generative AI systems, and use them in the context of art making, in the context of filmmaking, in the context of art or design, just in the context of creative kind of like processor. And... I think what we've seen so far right now, like last year, 2022, was like a breakthrough year where where models got really good, right? And for me, their first way was perhaps 2015 to 2022, where like 
some techniques, some algorithms, some researchers and artists were playing with it. It was mostly seen as a niche thing, right? So now when I remember pitching like and telling people like, hey, here's a thing you can use to generate an image. The first reaction I got was like, Chris, this is a toy, right? This is you being an art student just doing <laughs> art. Go, this is just, I will never use this. Right. And I think that like this missing technology like that happens often when it's very early. And I think the wave that we see now, which is, I would say, 2022 onwards, and we're just started on the second wave, is models have gotten really good, right? So mm-hmm. now my mom like asked me about like, and I saw sees and understand what I'm doing, right? It was just like <laughs> the outputs of them are just so much crisp and, and visible that I think it changed the understandings of what we can do with it. You said you went to art school. I did, yeah. So did you spend a portion of your life considering yourself an artist? Do you currently? I tried. I tried. I did. Uh, <laughs> I started like econ and then like design and also like dabbling like software engineering mm-hmm. and then spend time just in like art and research. And I quickly realized that I, I guess my I wasn't really a good artist, to be honest. And you my don't think art, so. No, I think my my art, I always find excuses to make tools to make art. And then I realized that those tools were far more interesting and useful than the outcomes Hmm. of those, right? At least for me. I think I've come to to the realization that perhaps my my art is uh, just tool making. And really like making something that then a very talented artist can take and use in ways that I can't even like imagine, right? And I think that Hmm. just, that's a very kind of like interesting position to be in. And in terms of art, Runway is specifically like a video tool. Is that right? Or am I thinking about it in a too limited way? I mean, it's helping introduce sort of these generative AI tools into video making. Is that right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Runway, you can think about as a company, first of all, we are an applied AI research company. So we we develop and build kind of like low level, the basic fundamental algorithms for content generation. And I mean content because I'm... We work with images, with video, with just multimedia formats, right? So we have a research team that sits at the core of the company, of the product. That research team drives, innovates, and develops novel techniques for kind of like driving generation of content. And then we build products that leverage that sort of like uh, algorithms and techniques. And there's things you can do on the video side. So we have films and post-production companies and broadcasting companies and studios and just teams in general working on the video side of things, leveraging and using our kind of algorithms and products. Mm. And we also have a set of like image-based solutions and products as well. Do you have a Dolly or like a stable, do you have sort of an image creator that's public? Yeah, I think you mentioned stable diffusion. We I know you're part of that. I'm going to talk about it. But do you have your, does Runway, the company, have a separate sort of image product? Yeah, we have around 30 different tools, right? And every tool uses a different algorithm or a combination of different algorithms to either generate a video, edit a video, generate an image, or translate from an image to a video, right? And so what's interesting for us is that we're not, for our customers, we don't, you get access to all these models behind the scenes, but you are not necessarily kind of like aware of those models, right? Hmm. So Hmm. from a filmmaker's perspective, if you're an art director, if you're a designer, if you're editing a video, you don't have necessarily any care or have to know about like the complicated like ins and outs of these models and the techniques and the names and all this. In the same way that if you use Photoshop, you don't really care about the blurring function or the algorithm that allows you to blur an image or you just use the image, right? You just use the tool. And so for us, it's, it's that primitive. It's like, it's about human intention. It's about you coming to the tool and you working with these algorithms in very intuitive ways 
to the point you forget you're working with this kind of like quote AI, where just you work with a tool that helps you achieve something in particular. But behind the scenes, yes, we have like those models that basically just power the whole set of features and products that we have. My understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that sort of generative AI really blew up in the public consciousness when Stable Diffusion, an open source project with ties to Stability AI, a company, and your co-founder, I believe, at Runway, was one of the head researchers on that project. And then that project became open to the public, right? Before that, you know, these projects had all been sort of behind the scenes. OpenAI, despite the name, hadn't released theirs. And then Stable Diffusion comes out and sort of the world goes crazy. OpenAI puts out Dolly. Am I getting that right? And where do you sort of fit in to that project and how, how much are you involved with it? Yeah, I think directionally you're right. I think so it might look like there's an overnight success over a specific model that let's say the space has gotten like so much attention in the last couple of months, right? It might look like, oh, something happened in a specific like day or month. But the truth is that the research has been brewing for like years, right? We've been working on runway for the last four years and it takes a lot of like iterations and learning and training and learning a lot from like what works, what doesn't work, what data set you can use, what models can you train? What are the possibilities of that, right? So the actual code and model and paper that powers and the fundamental architecture behind Stable Diffusion was, was released actually like almost two years ago, right? And that's open source. It's been open source since we published it. That work is the collaboration of Runway and LMU Munich. It's a research organization in Germany, and we do this a lot. We collaborate with other researchers. The Patrick Gesser, who is our research principal research scientist, led those efforts, right? And we published that code and open sourced it for a conference that was like released in 20, late 2021. And then since then, that was actually called latent diffusion. That was our latent diffusion work, right? It's, diffusion is a technique and latent is like a word to describe like a, the space of like possibilities in, in, like a, in, a, hmm. in an AI. So we, we, we basically call it latent diffusion. There's a technical term that's actually longer than that. It's high Resolution image synthesis with latent diffusion models. Sure, just latent <laughs> diffusion. A very good consumer <laughs> yeah. facing Rolls right name. off the tongue. <laughs> so that, yeah, you can see. And then we iterated on the model. We first trained the first model and then iterated on more, trained it on more data sets for longer. And then a company called Stability, kind of like Offered Compute, basically came in as an infrastructure and just say, hey guys, I saw your open source project. I'll, I'll just throw in some compute and you guys can train it on, on a larger data set. And that's, that mm-hmm. basically... Um, was where Stable Diffusion was born. Hmm. And then there was, you know, I love drama. There was a little drama when you updated, <laughs> you guys updated that software, right? And there was a little back and forth about whether you were allowed or not, or what was that whole thing? Yeah. Uh, there was, <laughs> I think there was some confusion, to be honest. Uh, again, we published that work almost two years ago, and it's been open source. We've been improving it, and Stability donated compute, and I think they had an internal, like, confusion or conflict about like ownership that they kind of like apologize about both publicly and privately. And and I think it would just like steer an unnecessary conversation for us. It's like we've, we've been working on this for now a lot of times for a lot of years and we publish new papers. We will continue to upgrade our latent diffusion work. And we have already like new models that are going to like change the landscape. If table diffusion was like inflection point, like Q1 of next of this year is going to be like probably as big as that one. But I think I'm less concerned about like the drama, to be honest. I know people like like the drama, but I think it's just like a internet confusion. And like I'm glad that <laughs> some people that it's like been, the drama. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I'm glad it's figured out. Like I I know I think but it's I just mean, like God. 
the stakes here are just, and this is classic, you know, we experienced this in open source software projects before, but it's who owns what, and the stakes feel bigger with AI because it's being presented as this sort of, you know, everybody's going to lose their job or, you know, like it's going to change the world. And so I guess my question is just like, yeah, like all these new, you know, when when OpenAI comes out with GPT-4, when you update your software, new versions of like Sable Diffusion, how much of those projects will be in the public domain where any company can use them and how much are they going to be owned by particular people? Because my understanding with Runway was that like part of how you were trying to differentiate was sort of like the tooling and making sure you can apply the publicly available artificial intelligence technology to specific use cases? Or are you also trying to own proprietary algorithms? I think every company might have a different strategy and a different like focus. I think for us, something we've, we've defined very early on that has taken us some time to like really nail down has been this idea of owning your stack, right? So we don't build our products on third-party like models or software or data sets. Like, we try to build the whole thing end-to-end. And the truth is that that's, that's hard because it requires you to really nail or understand how to build research, how to build infrastructure, how to build products, right? The advantage of that, if you build that muscle and you iterate enough, is that you can change any part of the stack, right? So if I want to change, if I want to improve a model because specific customer wants a better version of whatever we have, I don't have to ask someone else or I don't have to wait for someone else to do it. I know how to do it and I can go there and like do it, right? I can go to the lowest level possible of how a model is trained, how a model is optimized, how the model gets deployed, and then go back to the surface level and change that for them, right? I think that's... So uh, you'll you have might... proprietary algorithms that you've built? Yeah, yeah of course, we have. We've, yeah. the, we have custom research, and we've open-sourced some research. So as you go to our research website, you'll see that the latent diffusion, the civil diffusion work was something we open-sourced. There's other work that we haven't open-sourced yet. We'll perhaps open-source it at some point. It's like, but it's it's a combination of both. I think our open-source strategy is always tied to community building. Like the, the wave of creativity that emerged after releasing Stable Diffusion was just like really, really incredible to see. And that just helps drive the field forward, which is exactly what I think happened. There was like an inflection point. It's a way great of hiring as well. You attract talent and you attract researchers who want to work with you and like people read the papers and people read the authors and you go back and kind of like we get a lot of like really talented applications from that. But we're not, our kind of like approach perhaps different from other companies is that we're not an open source company. Like our product is not open sourcing products, right? Our product is to help creatives use these techniques in in comprehensive ways in their day-to-day lives. Cristobal, I have some questions about that. So one thing I'm curious about, you just used the term wave of creativity. You said after these tools came out, there was a wave of creativity. I largely saw on Twitter people typing like, bird flying over a truck that's on fire and also Elon's driving the truck. You know what I mean? So my question is, when you say wave of creativity using these tools, like, can you help us understand a little bit about what kinds of things were happening using the tools? Yeah, for sure. I think every new technology enables us to think about our creativity in different ways, right? Like the ability for us to type something and generate an image, just like it's novel, it's new. Mm-hmm. It's We've never seen it before. Like some people were yes. experimenting with it 10 years ago, but now it's just you open a browser and just type something, you get something out, right? And I feel like there's a lot of times where this like novelty component of it is just trying new things. You just try the weirdest thing possible, right? You, <laughs> sure. you want to like see 
you want exactly what you're saying. You want to see how far you can go, right? And yes, I really like that. It's like a curiosity component. Like everyone is trying to break the systems. Like, okay, I'm going to like really try totally. something really hard, right? And I think that it's like that's when part you realize you're dreaming and you're like, oh my God, I'm dreaming right now. What should I try? <laughs> <laughs> I, and I think that's the, that's the, I 100% agree. That's the experimentation thing. That's the curiosity phase. You're like, just, mm, just, okay. there's a, experimenting with it, right? You're like, this is new. This is different. I want to understand it. What do you mean? But I think true creativity comes after that, right? After you've like, okay, that has settled down a little bit and you start experimenting most seriously, right? You start to think about it, how you might incorporate it in like a filmmaking process, right? And if you mm-hmm. talk to a filmmaker or for an art director, it's not about the craziest like prompt that you can generate. Something is a lot about like control. Like I want to generate a variation of an image and I want to have I want to change a color over the left and a color over the right. How do I do it at that scale? Can I do it like in a thousand like iterations per second? Like those are different kind of like components. And for me, something I hear a lot about is this idea that AI or like the systems are automating creativity, right? I think for Ooh, me... I'm so curious about that. But I'm a comedian, by the way, for context. I'm a comedian and I have course. a podcast. But prior to that, I worked in tech for seven years. It's just like a classic career path, as you know. Yeah, but anyway, so fun. I have a lot of thoughts. <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts and questions about this idea of AI-supported creativity or AI-supported, dare I say, content or AI-supported art and all kinds of implications of that. And so I would love to hear a little bit more have about you what tried, you're thinking. Alexis, have you tried to write jokes with... Uh... Okay, so here I tried to... What did I try? Oh. I saw the, uh, I saw AI generated versions of my own tweets. That's what I saw using some software that someone sent me, which I'll have to look up the name. And it was terrifying because they sounded <laughs> like me. <laughs> Mine would be like weird Twitter fights and like I would tweets of my articles. But I need to look. I would that love up. to uh, see an AI generated version of Eric yeah. Newcomer's tweets. It'd just be a bunch of fake scoops. I need to look at yes, them afterwards. That's so good. Yeah, so I love this idea, though, that it's a phase. You're saying right now, or maybe perhaps when it first came out, we were in the curiosity phase, and that implies, you said, true creativity comes after that. So what do you think that means? I think, for me, creativity is a state of mind. It's a, it's a way of looking at the world, right? It's not a tool. It's not a process, right? I think what you can truly automate is the processes of executing a creative idea, right? I think mm-hmm. you can you can go back to like like previous moment in time where like there was a major technology like change and understand the changes that that transfer that brought to creativity right so I always go back to like one of the earliest examples of technology changing art and creativity and how we look at the world which was before like the 1700s painting was like mostly the realm and the space and the possibilities of like folks who had the money the resources and the time mm-hmm. and the knowledge to create these very complex um pigments right and creating a pigment was a very sophisticated thing it has like this history and tradition you had to like hire these masters that were very expensive then you have to like mix these very obscure colors right and then storing the pigments was like you had to use a pig bladder and like sell it with a string right it was very like oh obscure God. Right. And then 1800s, someone basically, John Brand's inventor, came up with the collapsible paint tube. Right. That's the piece of technology. Right. You can take colors and put them in like a paint tube. And the most important thing is that you can take that paint tube out into the world. Right. And so Mm. impressionism was born. Right. You had people going outside and having like canvases, like small canvases. You didn't require like a whole studio to just paint. Right. And so. What that meant is that you start looking at the world in a very different way. People started painting not just like portraits of like 
the royalty, but like mountains and trees and like social like events, right? And like although this creativity like emerge, and that's what I mean by that creativity opportunity. That's like you're that's a piece of technology that enables you to look at the world and express your view of the world in a very different way that for everything you've used before, right? And fast forward, it's like that enable a huge revolution in art and like the trans forever transform how we think about painting art, et cetera, right? And you can think about very similar moments in time where technologies like like that have changed, right? Art and creativity and photography is another one, right? Mm-hmm. Photography changed how we also look at the world. And a lot of the times early on the photography kind of like wave, people said that like photography was kind of like the end of art, right? It's going to be the end of like paintings, right? Like you right. will never, it's just like, and the truth is that it's not, it's just a different medium, right? You just need to explore that medium in a way. There's new artists that will emerge from that. New ideas will come after that, right? And you mm-hmm. open the door for something that's, to be honest, it's very hard to predict, right? Because you try to yes. predict something that you yeah. haven't even yet experimented with, right? And it's very hard to like make these sort of assumptions over time about everything that needs to happen. I think I come to embrace that like uncertainty as in like, we're early on something that's going to massively transform a lot of things. And we should embrace this, like, just experimentation phase, right? That curiosity phase, right? And the kind of things that you'll build after that are yet still to be, like, uncovered and discovered. And that, for me, is really, really exciting. I mean, I have such conflicting thoughts on this. Like, on the one hand, so many, like, amateur visual artists, to me, like, what they enjoy is, like, the physical process over the output, right? And even if they can get better outputs from sort of an AI system, is that cutting into some of the enjoyment? I get the digital art and also in photography and everything is cut into that and people get their choices. On the other hand, I'm like so excited by the idea of like pairing the human mind with like another mm-hmm. sort of intelligence. Or I mean, there's such, there. I feel like, you know, <laughs> Uh, Alexa's wearing a chess sweater. It's like if you get good enough at chess, <laughs> you feel like a certain connect. You know, you're you you can use these bots to like figure out how you should play better. There, there are like yeah. these. I feel like there are already experiences today where you can sort of feel in sync with like a robot system. Or I play a lot of bridge, and my partner in bridge online is is a robot. And I sort of understand what they do, and so having sort of this partnership with some sort of intelligence is, you know, a very charming experience but yeah I mean, it's 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 definitely a terrifying future are you worried about it at all like do you ever or it's just inevitable to you yeah i'm not worried a lot i think actually it's a very exciting time to be and i'm very optimistic about it i think like radical technologies like this are like one of the things that they do is they read the cost and enable things to be more convenient more easy to use right so Think about like filmmaking, the people who had access to like professional filmmaking tools, even nowadays, it's like a handful of people that know how to like edit on professional software, right? Mm-hmm. That have all these like complicated BFX workflows and you need to understand computer graphics and all, a bunch of things. Picture having everyone with like ILM or like BFX professional like skills, right? It's, it's a wave of like storytelling in ways that we haven't even thought of before that's just like right around the corner. What kind of tools would you need for that? Well, let's, let's just build them. I don't know yet. I'm more excited. I, I feel like I'm more excited about the outcomes of those and enabling more people to, mm. to express themselves in creative ways. And I think that's ultimately the role of technology like at large. I think I, I'm less interested in like this idea again that you'll automate it and that will become like some sort of like one click off solution and like everything will become the same. I think that's just boring and like it doesn't really like 
interest me, to be honest. And it's also like a, a partial view of how the world actually works, I think. I think there's always this human component and that, that's what gives us like meaning. Alexis, you were saying like if someone just generates mm-hmm. tweets that are like just, actually there's a, I've, I've heard there's a generated podcast, right? So you can generate yeah. the script and you can generate the voice and you have, there was a, like a conversation between like Steve Jobs and like Lex Friedman, right? This, mm. Everything is generated, right? And I find it interesting. It's like, yeah, I mean, it works really well. You're convinced halfway through that this is actually happening. But I feel like there's still a lot of potential of using that in way more creative ways and just generating the entire thing like end to end, right? I hear what you're saying. And I, th- I agree with a lot of it. And I, especially the point about the way access to pieces of technology can really draw out someone's creativity. I think my personal experience is a good example of that, where I was able to teach myself to edit video because iMovie came on my Mac, right? And then I know how to use YouTube. And then I graduated to other software, but it was all accessible. It was all just downloading things, looking at how to do this. Some 20-year-old dude in his basement told me on the internet. And then I said, great, I know how to make videos now. But Here's what's different to me about generative AI and some of the other tools that have preceded it in assisting creativity, which is that generative AI models, and please correct me if I'm using the wrong terminology, they have to be trained on something, right? And so when we're talking about visual art or, God forbid, comedy or (laughs) anything else, don't we have to feed it existing artists' work in order to teach it how to do it? And doesn't that raise some implications around ownership, credit, and profit participation of the output of the AI? Yeah, totally. I think those are very valid questions and things that are really worth kind of asking ourselves as we develop this new technology. And and again, I'll go back to like premium moments in time. There's this video and this recording of 35 years ago, same questions being asked when Photoshop was first released, right? Really? You see, yeah, it's the same conversation. I'll share with you guys. It's the same oh, conversation, God, I right? I thought it was original. <laughs> I was like, this is an interesting question. <laughs> but it's but it's a valid question. It's part of the it's part yeah, of like, it like is, under- yes, yeah, yes. it is, right? And 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 the interesting part is like they were discussing at the time, it's like, are you allowed to edit a photograph, right? A photograph is like mm. the truth, right? You can edit it, right? You can go into National Geographic onto like TV magazine and edit an image, right? And the half of the panel was like, it's just illegal. This technology should be banned, right? And I can't imagine now, like, not having, like, a right. tool like Photoshop in our disposal is just so obvious. And, like, Photoshop became a verb, right? And so, for sure, there's a lot of things that you need to figure out. Like, Photoshop had to figure out a lot of things and kind of, like, concerns around how to use the technology. People were using it to, like, for, or, like, fake bills and, uh, like, create fake money, right? So, if you try to open a Photoshop, a bill in Photoshop, Photoshop will, like, prevent you from doing that, right? You can't. Just, like, it's your band, hmm. right? Yes. And, and so you build, you build over time ways of like securing the system, right? But the 99% of the outcomes that are emerging from this are going to be net positive, right? They're going to make society move you forward. You think 99%? I'm sorry. Oh, I just want to go back. So you, I'm just, you on the record just said that 99% of the outcomes <laughs> that's, uh, of don't, generative don't. AI is going to be positive? <laughs> Uh, I think that's just a bold word, but I think, yeah, most of the, I that would say that. bold. Put that on a slide somewhere. Let's go. <laughs> of course. I mean, it's a, it's a very powerful technology. It's, it's going to be as massive as cell phones were. Like, I feel like mobile was like really net positive for everyone, right? Like you're able to hold like a lot of knowledge in your pocket and able to connect with anyone in the world, right? That's, I think that's net positive. I think AI is, and generative AI are similar technologies, right? You're, there's, of course, like people that are going to try, there are bad people in the world and they're going to try to use everything they can to do bad things for sure. And like, we'll be trying to prevent those. But overall, the outcomes of the technology is net positive. Like, 
will will allow to democratization of content, for example, as you were saying, of mm-hmm. anyone having access to these things, just like that's a dramatical change. Yeah. But I think to your point, there's there's a lot of conversations that need to be had and people are having around like data set and training the models and when which data and like how you do it. But again, like Google had the same kind of like discussions early on, right? I don't want my data to be uh, scraped by by Google, right? Kind of have and uh, kind of have like a way of opting out. If I don't want to have my website being like searchable, and the answer is yes, you can. Like just put this file on your website, and I, Google will not scrape it, and I like, will not index you in the search file in the search kind of like options. Um, and so there's, I think there's still a lot of things yet to be uncovered, and models are not a hundred percent like ready yet to be like using all sort of like professional environments. We're Still very, very early. How important do you think the humans are to generative AI or will be in the next mm. couple of years? What we're talking about is humans sort of as creators experimenting using this tool. But I, on another conversation on this podcast, we've talked about TikTok and, you know, how sort of the content sorting algorithm is so good. And, you know, there was this question asked of like, how far away are we from TikTok just saying, oh, you know, not only do I, I can guess which videos that exist do people want, but I can just create the video that you are likely to want. Like, how far away do you think that world is where somebody like TikTok can just deliver the video that I want without a human involved at all? Oh, we're very, very close. I think we're not far away from having... <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, having, uh, like, that doesn't what? sound good. I'm not like, oh, yay. You saying that makes me scared. That does not sound fun how, to how me. How close are we? I don't want to commit to specific date or, or moment, but I think like we're, we're heading towards a world in general where a lot of the content that you'll consume online will be generated. Picture like a YouTube like generated like stream, right? You can do Netflix generated content, like TikTok generated content, right? I think that's somehow feasible. Like today, if you combine a bunch of different things, but there's still a lot of things to be developed to get to a point where like you'll do it real time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's going to happen. It, it, if it works, it, if it's possible, uh, and if I go mens and allow us to explore new avenues of like creativity, I think that's that's going to be great. I think a lot has to do yet with developing these models in more safe manners and more kind of like aligned ways to our human intention. And there's a lot of work to be done still yet there to prevent possible misuses for sure. But overall, I think we're going to be in a, in a time and moment where like you're going to be in every single movie you ever wanted to be, right? You are going to be. <laughs> you're going right, to be the main. What's act- amazing about it is not only that it can create something, but it can create something specific to me that yeah. I will find yeah. compelling. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And but and but you, you think this is like three, like how, like yeah, years what's, or? what's soon? <laughs> I'm like, uh, which how do how do I need to prepare my job security? <laughs> like, what does my timeline need to be to learn to code? I just need a sense for when I'm going to be replaced by GPT three. I think very soon, a couple oh, of great. years, I good, would say. Good stuff. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's you're, good. you're. I mean, for the, there's definitely like an exponential like like progress rate that that you you can see and perceive more more clearly now that like mm. years of progress or what take years what took years of progress is now taking like months, right? Yeah. And we'll what will start to take months, what's gonna start start to take like weeks, right? And you go by that like all the time, like large language models, and now going to be writing like papers and I'm going to be writing code and, I'm gonna be, and you start like accumulating the amount of progress that you can make, right? And I think that's yet mm. happening and it will continue to happen, but I think that it's going to happen like sooner than we think. I mean, I, I respect you for doing your best not to give us a date because, yeah. you know, I covered <laughs> the self-driving car industry and you know, that was an artificial intelligence powered 
industry that always said, you know, full autonomy is just over the horizon. Like, what do we take from that experience? Why is this different than that? I mean, things, people have gotten excited about chatbots before. Things can appear, you know, if you solve 90% of the problem, but you need to solve the whole 100%, it can be easy to convince yourself that you're like almost there, but the last yeah. 10% can be can be extremely difficult to impossible. I think it depends on what your goal is and what you're trying to accomplish, right? In, I guess in the case of self-driving cars, like full autonomy, right? Can you drive a car in any street in the world and like with no driver, right? That's that's the end goal, right? For for asset runway, it's not like, can you make a piece of art or can you make a video with no human intention and no control at all, right? That, I think that that's not the goal. The goal is like, right. the goal is like, can you take an idea and execute that idea in the fastest way possible, right? And right now, if you want to create a video, like Alexis, if you want to make a video 20, 30 years ago, it would have taken you like months, right? You oh, had yeah. to like rent a, a, an equipment and then like and have someone... And it would have been cost prohibitive as well. It was, yeah, it was too expensive, right? And so your idea is like, I want to make comedy, I want to make this. You, just, you mm. can't. I mean, you just, it's going to take you months and you need to find a producer and like all this. Yeah. And the fact is like... It, Technology and like smartphones and the internet got you like 90% there. There's still the right. first work you have to do, like coordinating and recording and editing, et cetera. But like it's made like 90% of the work, right? You're like so, it's so much better, so much feasible even to even consider doing something like that. So if, if, if the goal for us is like to help creatives just like get over that like 80, 90% of the work that you don't want to do as a creative. Maybe just like no one wants to like spend time, for example, searching through hundreds of videos and then copying those videos and then placing them to express the idea that you want to have in mm -hmm. your head, it would be great if you can just like automate that, right? And that's like, that's 90% of the process, right? And I think that the goal for us is to measure by that. I think we're very close to getting to that point, right? And that's the ultimate goal I would say of Journey to AI is like taking the cost of content creation down to zero, not the cost of like ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Ideas are still like ideas and like the best ideas will still win, right? I think this is the time where everyone will become more of an editor and curator and like ideas, the best ideas will be executed, not because they have the funding or the resources, just because they're the, the best ideas. I, I feel bad. We have to, we're playing sort of the cynics, even though I'm extremely excited about this technology, but you're, you're doing a good job of making the bull case. Do you worry that we're going to have even more of like a bullshit problem? In the world of social media, there's already been the problem. You know, if you have a big account, you have people writing to you and just the work of like sorting through among humans What's like a reasonable critique to spend time intellectually and engage with and what's sort of a waste of your time is a taxing exercise, even if you're like sort of a with it person. And then if you add to the mix, I, I literally on Twitter had someone, I'm 90% sure, use GPT as like an auto response to a bunch of tweets to like juice engagement. Oh I, I responded like GPT and they, they sent me a smiley face. I mean, it was <laughs> obvious to me, but it's still like, Oh my God, if I'm going to run into that all the time where I'm going to have to engage oh. with the cognitive task of, is this GPT? And, and of course, the problem with it being GPT is GPT or whatever text, text tool, they're sort of bullshitters. They're very, they're 100% confidence and yeah. maybe 90% accurate. And that's very challenging for human beings. Yeah. yeah. So what, what do you say to the bullshitter problem of AI? Um, that's a good question. I think overall, I'm optimistic that that would get solved in the same way that like spam and like scammers got solved in like mail and in the internet. It's like, if you get receive an email from like a prince in Nigeria, you're like, yeah, this is, this is a scam. <laughs> <laughs> right. And this is like a very common like thing in the internet. And like you build filters and you build mechanisms to detect that. And mm -hmm. like 
people have, have figured out and kind of like there's ways of like improving those systems to like avoid that. Right now, what's happening is that it's still very early, right? Like if you consider like ChatGPT, ChatGPT was like a research release, right? It wasn't like a product, mm. right? And it was just like right. Just they were like, taken by surprise how popular it was. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. It, in the bottom, it says like this is a research release, right? There's a lot of things mm. that you haven't yet considered, but you're just trying to learn how people use it, the possible like things that need to be fixed. And I think that a big misconception is to look at this and be like, okay, this this is it. This is the final thing we'll use ever, and it doesn't work, right? I'm like, no, it's just like a point in progress and time, and like we'll continue to improve it until a point where like all that bullshit that like you will find and these things will be like either reduced or removed or like prevented, and there's still a lot to be to be done for sure. I think that there is cool stuff. I agree with a lot of what you've said around taking the burden of some of the more like task task pieces of the creative development process i think that there's a lot a lot that could be good there i'm just scared that's all. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm scared and, and also I, I, we've talked a little bit about like oh eventually people will figure this out and i'm sure that like things will happen down the line i'm kind of like this seems to be going awfully fast and I don't know who is ultimately responsible. Like, who's the adult in the room here that's supposed to put a hand up and be like, we should probably have some rules. Well, there's <laughs> fatalism to it. I think so much mm, of what happens is just, if it's possible, it will happen. And That's how I, yeah. Yeah. I think a sort of assumption underlining some of this conversation is that like, the learn to code crowd is going to win. and The word sells writers among us are the ones who are going to be <laughs> screwed. Do you, do you actually agree with that premise? I mean, we're seeing these like programs do some coding or like, is it clear to you like which human skill sets come out on top if, if this all happens as you see it and which ones are the losers? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I don't have a, a full answer to be honest because I think a lot has to yet be like discover and like, understood for like where models can actually go. I think with every kind of like previous moment in time in the past where something like this had happened, like there's like jobs and disciplines and like things that just disappear, right? Like you don't need the 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 market for like people who do analog film editing has like vastly been reduced, right? No one is just cutting films like with scissors anymore, right? You can't right, find right. these people, right? And the reason is that those folks have to adjust their jobs and like their tasks to for a digital age and they have to learn a new task and understand the limits and the kind of like all directions of using that. I think overall, my hunch is that we'll start to see that like professions and jobs will radically change, right? Software engineer, I think, will become more about, again, having an idea and helping a system like execute the idea in a secure way, right? So if you want to write right now, you can just like something like Copilot and just write a function and have like Copilot like complete the whole function for you, right? So you're not going into documentation to try to understand APIs and then going back. It's mm. like it works really, really well, right? But you still need to give guidance and you need to, as a human, you need to understand your intention, right? And you're like having the system just help you along the way on that, right? So I think that, that I'm not sure like software engineers are like the job itself is like not, it's, it's still going to be here, right? Just radically going to be different. It's going to be, it's going to function differently. It's going to, Skills that might require are going to be different. You might not need to know these very obscure like levels of like API documentation because now you have something that can do it for you. And for writers, I think it's the same. It's like probably like think about like how like computers or even typewriters change the process of writing. You you are able to like erase things easier. They're able to like compose ideas more quickly. You're able to like remix things because you have them saved in different ways. 
right? And I think that that just changes the nature of like writing and who also can work and write. If I'm not an English like native speaker, like these algorithms can help me like significantly improve my writing skills. And now I can have a conversation with someone else in another language that I don't have and it can be exposed to ideas I don't have and that can kickstart something else. So I think it's more interesting to have a, like a very open mind and very kind of like learning mentality of like, okay, how is my job or the thing I do be augmented and how we need to be transformed and change. And I think there's like the, the hesitation and the, the worry conflict component of it is very natural. Like silent film was like the thing for 20 years, like in the early 1900s, right? And when audio came to be a, a feasible technology to have in, in cinemas, the first reaction from like everyone in the Hollywood industry is like, we need to ban audio, right? This is going to destroy <laughs> the light. And this is true, like... Charles oh my God, Chap- I do not want to be on that side of history. <laughs> Are we still recording? <laughs> Charles Chaplin was like binding audio. Like, I uh, will show you like the ads. It's like the association for like film and audio in like the musicians from like Hollywood are binding audio oh from God. movies, right? Because like, who's going to pay for like the orchestras that are in the theaters, right? And of course, like something happened for the, for the group. A couple things you're saying that stick out to me are one, there's potential here that the proliferation of these tools that let's just focus on writing, like help you write, could actually raise the bar for what type of writing we're willing to and interested in consuming. Because if everybody can, let's say in a year, quote, write like GPT-3, the bar is going to be much higher for your average, I think, article or newsletter or whatever, because you're going to have to be bringing something really special to the table in order for people to spend their time reading it. Yeah, 100%. Maybe that's just me trying to be... It's just hard hard for me to know. I mean, I have sort of been in Silicon Valley long enough and watched the government be slow that I'm I'm like, whatever's possible will happen and sort of (laughs) nothing will put the cat back in the bag. So worrying about it too much is, uh, you know, it's good to think through these things. But but yeah, the technology is going to progress. But I do think it's an open question, Hmm. you know, what this does to literacy. If like all of a sudden people are just like outsourcing you know, their professional yeah. writing, you know, most writing is bad. Most writing is formulaic. Yeah. But people learning to think is important. I mean, I feel like there's been a lot of chatter about this sort of, I don't know, high school cheating problem. I literally <laughs> see it on teacher subreddits, you know, worrying about the cheating problem. I don't know. Are you worried about it? Like uh, one solution I was saying is I assume the AI systems will just get better and better over time. So it'll become easier and easier to identify old cheaters so it's it seems like a big <laughs> risk to cheat when we're going to be able to ferret out cheaters more i don't know do you worry about that I, I i mean i don't worry about it too much i think like it might help us like really understand like from perhaps from a more first principle like thinking perspective like what the goal of like schools are like it's not yeah. to memorize like words it's like you need to have critical thinking and like i'll learn you i'll teach you how to think and like view the world and process it and come up with ideas right and that's the ultimate goal of like going to school to like anything, right? If you want to learn something, it's not about memorizing stuff. It's not about mm-hmm. managing, understanding how to use a complex process and a workflow or whatever it is. It's about like looking at the world in a critical way, having like a, a way of understanding things, right? And I think if like, if, if I learn how to code with something like a language model that can teach me constantly, that can fit me, that can give me examples and, and I can do a good, a software idea or I can execute something by doing that, that's fantastic, right? Did I have to go through like a formal training of reading these like books and this traditional process? Maybe it didn't and that didn't matter, mm-hmm. right? I think like 
that might happen. And of course, it's normal. There's like pushback at the beginning, right? Because it's just, it's different, right? It's it's changed. And we're, humans hate humans change. Are we're all, I know. <laughs> yeah, we're very reluctant to change. Like we're very reluctant to change. And then the thing is like, we get used to change a lot. I was actually trying one of the self-driving cars in SF a couple of weeks ago. And the first like 10 seconds is just very scary. You're like, I want to get out. It's just like, freak yeah. me out. It's like, <laughs> where's the driver? Like, And right. then after a minute, you're like, okay. I'll just take my phone and just relax, right? And it's like, right. for a minute, you were like very reluctant to change. And then you you tried it and then you kind of like assume, okay, that works. And it like doesn't like crash and not dying. And it can move on and like it works really well. And the human psychological journey on embracing new technology is a little sad, right? When something's exciting, we're very fearful about it. <laughs> and then like you're saying, we just sort of embrace it. And yeah. then now, you know, when I'm, 10 minutes late because of the subway, I'm like furious, even though, you know, yes. there are prior worlds where getting across New York City could have taken me like days. Yeah. Or, right. You know, and required a horse. T- right. Right. <laughs> there weren't yeah. the bridges to do it all. You know, like, so it, it's sad how much we take existing technology for granted and then spend all our time obsessing over what's right over the horizon. But right. That's that's humanity. I agree. But your, yeah. your optimism for this technology is truly contagious because I really am. <laughs> I am thinking about it in less scary, negative, cynical ways. I'm thinking about it in more positive ways as what could it do to like you used the word augment or Eric, maybe you did. Like, how can we look at these as tools that will help augment creativity and not replace it? Yeah. In terms of particular companies, obviously, you're excited about your own. But what are the projects sort of using generative AI that you're most excited about right now? Or what do you think people should be watching for? There are a lot of things I've seen. There's um, there, I think there's a movie in particular that I think for me exemplifies a lot of what we'll continue to see over the next couple of years. I don't know if you guys have watched it. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, I love uh, it. Love One of the best movies movie. of all time. Yeah, okay. He's going to be like, page. fun fact, that was fully written using generative AI. <laughs> Kind of, kind of. I know. Um, th- so th- it's a beautiful movie, right? If you haven't watched Origins. it and you're listening to this, just well, watch it. It's like phenomenal movie, right? And, mm. yeah. and I think a quick characteristic of the movie, you guys, I don't know if you guys remember, is it has a lot of visual effects, right? It's very yes, intense yes. visual effect movies, right? The most interesting fact for me when I learned this, and I was just like astonished about it, was like the majority of those effects were made by five people. Right? Five hmm. people, right? Just five people. No. That didn't, that's just the thing, that didn't have previous experience building like future film complexities and future film effects like that mm. were able to put together that kind of level of like quality and like they were like very talented people for sure right but they just five people hmm. that used to take hundreds if not dozens of like wow. teams and wow. when I did it was like wow it's like this is just insane who are these people these are like superhumans, right <laughs> what's going on I right. searched for those five folks I searched for the like MDB kind of like profile of the movie got the five kind of PFX people behind the movie uh, and of course, like went into runway and see if they had like accounts, right? And all of them had accounts, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> like that's phenomenal. We so reach out to all of them. It's like, yeah, right. we'll chat, and we chatted, and they they use they use parts of runway to uh, edit the movie, right? It was just like huh. a small Are you serious? part. Serious? Yeah, yeah, very that validating. Is so cool. Yes. And and then my assumption was like, well, if they, why I wanted to like, I guess, why I had the insight of like, I will search for them in our database is because. If you think about creating a movie like that, the complexities of the movie are immense, right? Mm. But you, to be able to execute that, you had to automate it. You had to simplify it in a way, right? And my assumption is like, maybe they came across Runway because that's basically what we tried to offer, right? And so they did. And we wrote a case study about it. Now, some of them are already using it for other films. I'll send you the, the case study. 
And I think like what I'm really excited about is those kind of teams, right? They're very highly creative teams with a lot of motivation, a lot of like great to just understand how to get their ideas out without having to have this budget restrictions or like, I don't know, other set of like limitations and just execute it. And it worked. It worked really well. It's like the boom is gonna probably gonna win like hmm. a dozen of dozen set of awards. And so, I'm, I'm, generally, I would say I'm really excited about those teams that are embracing technology like this, that are like experimenting with it, that are using it, that are trying to push it in ways that I haven't even thought of. Like no one else, I thought it's just like you need to like expose it to more people. And I'm also excited about if you think about that same approach taken to product building, right? So. A lot of the research in the space has been mostly led by like domain experts, right? The researchers who are like very deep into the weights, like PhDs who are like incentives to like make benchmarks in X, Y, or C metric better. But I think the outcomes and the results of using these models are going to impact way more than the researchers, right? And the insights are going to come from like multidisciplinary teams. You need hackers, you need artists, you need like more people jumping in here. So the companies that are more excited are the products and the projects that I'm excited about are projects that can blend those things. You have technical folks, but at the same time you have artists like speaking and sitting at the same table and being like, okay, here's what's possible, right? Would that be useful? Would that be not useful? How am gonna? How can I help you augment something, right? And I think that's the the second wave that I think I was telling you guys early on. Like twenty first wave of AI was probably like this this new wave of AI because it's been out. There've been a few historically, but 2015 to 2021 was the first one, and 2022 onwards, the next one is gonna be about figuring out how to collaborate with humans, right? And mm-hmm. how to take these algorithms from research domains and silos into real-world examples. But part of what I'm taking you to say is that, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on the generalized intelligence. And part of what you're saying is that actually you need people focusing on specific use cases and how, how they, they play out. Or is that the right contrast to be zeroing in on? Yeah, I care more about humans. <laughs> and I think technology <laughs> should have been the purpose of humans, right? So we're helping you do something. I think when we might lose that like narrative or the direction when you think too much about technology for the sake of technology and not technology as a way of serving humans in a particular way. Wow, I know a lot of people who <laughs> could hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not yeah. going to say who. <laughs> This is, this is a safe space. I guess you can do it. <laughs> you can say. Yeah, yeah. Super safe space. <laughs> do you, um, I mean, like OpenAI. I mean, they're obviously the elephant in the room. Microsoft is purportedly like going to invest $10 billion. I mean, are they a rival of yours? Is their success good or bad or neutral for you? Or like, what's your view on OpenAI and how do they relate to what you're doing? I think OpenAI is a research-driven organization, right? They're mostly about, like, pushing the limits of, like, research, right? And they've done an incredible job at that. They've released multiple, like, breakthroughs over the last 10 years, right? They started much more focused on reinforcement learning and then moved because they discovered new things. And that's just how research works. And I think that they're a pretty interesting and, like, organization that's done really breakthroughs in, in research. But I think research is not enough for products. If you think about products. Product is about, again, helping serve human needs and helping people to achieve or solve a problem in a specific way. And part of it, in this case, is research because you can build the fundamental technologies. But part of it is also how do people interact with it, right? And and there's a lot more that has to be built around it. I think, I don't think I'll, as OpenAI as a competitor, to be honest, I think they're just a research organization that's been... Do you use their APIs work. or anything? We don't, no. No near product. No. We build our own I stuff. Mean, but you know, but like, we might at some point. I'm sure you know more about this than I do, but like Jasper or whatever, super hot company in the tech space was building on top of 
OpenAI and then, you know, OpenAI comes out with this chat GBT that ends up competing with it. <laughs> I don't, I, I, right? Am I crazy? I mean, there are lots of questions about like, in terms of companies, who's actually going to be able to win sort of the war here? Mm. I mean, our our bet is you need to own your stack. You need to own your technology, right? If you're building something, you need to be able to like understand every piece of it, right? Because if not, someone else can just take it off you, right? And, and for our kind of like focus as a company has been just building that full stack component, right? Yeah. That's very interesting. In a way, it's sort of like asking the question, is generative AI more comparable to the technology that is the smartphone or is it more similar to an operating system in that will it matter you know what i mean by that like is it yeah. is it the technology that things will be built on top of like in the case of runway yeah. or are we talking which is more like i guess you could consider it like more commodified and less like owned or yeah. are we talking about it as like oh it's equivalent to like a fully owned and operated operating system or something like that I think it's probably like my hunch is more close to a smartphone, to be honest. Like where yeah. you have, I mean, Apple has radically made that like uh, the case, right? You you own your hardware, you build everything yeah. from the hardware itself to the software, to the platforms where people build on top, right? And that's a way stronger business case or a business like uh, argument than having like slight integrations, mostly because again, technology moves really fast, right? And so you can't consider anything or you can't give anything for granted if things are moving so fast and they're becoming obsolete so fast. Mm-hmm. We can let you go. Or Alexis, do you have any final thoughts? No, I think I've really, I've really grown on this podcast, <laughs> personally. I don't know. I'm glad. What do you think? I think because I think I started a little more fearful and now I think I'm more open-minded. And also I am terrified of the fact that 20 years from now, we're going to listen back to this. And I don't want to sound like the person that got interviewed about the internet in the 90s. And was like, you guys heard of this internet thing? So I'm really trying <laughs> right. not to well, be I, I mean, I've been clear in my, I think it's huge. I mean, I was super skeptical of self-driving cars because they need to be complete. Whereas this, I, you know, it's about the human interaction. Well, I'm already seeing, you know, like professional type people yeah. generating yeah. questions and e- drafting emails. And I feel yep. like even if you're hmm. plenty smart to write a good piece of text, it's just like solving it. And then the point that you've made sort of very clear on this podcast that nothing is more valuable than when a technology saves human beings time. And so even if you don't view it as like, okay, it's going to be more creative than us in certain ways. It's like mm. if it's saving us time to do creative tasks, that's sort of the core value of technology and people will always want to save time. So I'm, I'm super bullish on that. I, I still think, I mean, we saw like Lenza there, you know, there's still a hype cycle going on though. I mean, people get so excited, something it's cool and then it falls off. So it's about sustaining that, that enthusiasm. Yeah, I agree with that. It's sustaining the work and sustaining the enthusiasm and the development more than like specific spikes of hype. And so here for the, for the long run to make that happen. I think sometimes get, things get better after the hype cycle dies down a little bit, actually, because there's less, like, fervor and, like, hand-waving in the field, right. you know? And the yeah. people who are genuinely able to and passionate about those tools, like, I think of the creator economy as a great example. Remember the five minutes when, like, everybody pretended to care about the creator right. economy? And now, 90% of those people are not focused on that, but the ones that are are the folks that are actually passionate, actually competent in that space. And I think that ultimately the tools, as a result, will be much better for it. And I think something yeah. like this and self-driving cars are probably also uh, parallel examples. Totally. 
Cool. Well, thank you both for coming on. Listen to Alexis on non-technical, Chris Runway, check it out. All right. Thank you very much for coming on. Of course. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks, Chris. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.